You have it? Yes, I have it. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. So, um, so Dr. Copeland, if you remember, can, can, can everybody hear me well? Yes, okay. I can. Okay, so real quick, if you remember last year when I, I had the honor of interviewing you for uh, Black Philanthropy Month, and I had told you, now, Michelle, did you give Dr. Copeland the background? A very high level, but you tell the story much better. <laughs> <laughs> so real quick, because I know we, we want to get into it. But anyway, Dr. Copeland, if you remember, I told you the story about how I met um, this wonderful young lady two years ago. And then uh, I got a, a strange email last summer after two years of not hearing from her. And her name was Destiny Michelle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, this is Destiny Michelle. <laughs> this is the young lady that I met two years ago on a bus ride up to Albany. Yeah. Uh, and mm -hmm. this is, and now we've collaborated and now Michelle has a real strong passion to promote equity and philanthropy. So she, she decided that she would like to do something to, to bring about more awareness of some of the inequities and also to spread resources. And so she came up with this idea to come up with philanthropy infusion and so she's the co-producer and the host and I'm producing it with the Kelson communications platform and that's how this all came about from a bus ride up to Albany almost three years ago so I wanted to just make that connection because I know I told you the story last year yeah I um I didn't have all that uh color but I figured um, she was a person we kind of alluded to it just before you got on the call. Okay. So, so I always say you never know who you're going to meet in public. That's right. That's, that's right. So. That's um, and, and this is something for that I've been passionate about for quite some time. And it really is, is rooted in just wanting to level the playing fields, uh, educate and inform. Um, and mm -hmm. I think there's a sense of urgency right now with everything right. that has gone We've talked about the twin pandemic. I think that COVID has really, um, you know, mag magnified the, the racial injustices in this country that have existed for since inception of this country. But I think it's magnified that. And I think we have people's attention. So I mm -hmm. think we have to strike while the iron's hot and, and be in the moment uh, while people are paying attention or most people um, and so I really wanted to kind of try to drive this forward. So this whole series um, for philanthropy infusion, this particular series is equity and philanthropy. So we will get into some of that during our, our discussion today. Okay. Great. Okay. All right. So Michelle's going to be conducting the interview. I'm doing the audio technical part so we can all just, you know, kill our videos and it'll be audio only. And so nice to see you. Jackie and, and meet you face to face and look forward to staying connected. All right. Well, thanks for making this happen, Silas. You're welcome. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining Philanthropy Infusion, which puts the spotlight on equity and philanthropy and new ways to give. I'm Michelle Woodard, host and co-producer, coming to you from Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast, a Kelson Communications Inc. production. I'm honored to introduce today's guest, Dr. Jacqueline Bovier Copeland. Dr. Copeland is the founder and chair of the Women Invested to Save Earth Fund, or better known as the WISE Fund, 
an impact enterprise providing funding for promising underrepresented in innovators using technology and other tools for social and environmental justice, particularly in Africa, Australia, Brazil, India, USA, and diasporas. Dr. Copeland is also the founder of Black Philanthropy Month and its summit series, a global collaboration to celebrate, promote, and elevate Black giving and funding with Black Philanthropy Month celebrating 10 years and recognized annually during the month of August and all year long. Dr. Copeland is an expert on cultural and ecosystem diversity issues and is recognized by Congress as a history maker for her innovative civic contributions. She's recently been recognized as one of the top 100 philanthropy leaders by Philanthropy Unbound has led and contributed to several prestigious organizations and enterprises, becoming the first executive director at the African Women's Development Fund USA, has authored and co-authored several books and won the 2013 Hero for Health Award for her dedication and commitment to the social justice field and outstanding achievements in the areas of leadership and research. Dr. Copeland attended Georgetown University where she earned her undergraduate degree in literature and African studies from the School of Foreign Service and went on to earn her PhD and two masters in anthropology and urban design with US, Africa, South Asia and diaspora con concentrations from the University of Pennsylvania. Welcome Dr. Copeland, I'm honored to have you here as our guest today. I'm delighted to be with you. So I, I'd first like to congratulate you on your 10th anniversary for Black Philanthropy Month as of 2021. So congratulations on that amazing Thank milestone. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. Uh, so been, I thought, oh, go ahead. No, I was saying it was, it's been quite a journey. And I would like, I, I would definitely like to hear how Black Philanthropy Month has evolved over that 10, you know, the 10 year span, um, but also looking at the theme uh, this year's theme. So last year, the Black Philanthropy theme um, month theme was Foresight 2020. I see this year it's tenacity, making equity real, which puts an emphasis on the 10 to celebrate 10 years. So if you could talk about the significance of the 2021 theme and again, how Black Philanthropy Month has evolved over this 10 year span. Yeah. Well, again, thanks for having me. And I will just start with the theme. So it is amazing that Black Philanthropy Month has hit a global nerve. Actually, when I um, founded it, I was hopeful that it would um, motivate people, increase the visibility of Black-led giving, but, you know, when you start something new, you really have no idea how it's going to evolve. So I'm delighted that we have engaged either in person or through our various virtual convenings and social media, at least 18 million people uh, from inception. And it is celebrated in at least 60 countries. Uh, so... Tenacity refers to just the need for Black people, people of African descent and our allies everywhere to be tenacious, to never give up on justice, uh, even despite the challenges of COVID, 
the very public lynchings that we're all witnessing um, other crises we're having related to um, the recession, uh, climate change, that if we remain inspired and determined, we can make a difference with a determina determination and commitment and working together. Also, it refers to the staying power of Black Philanthropy Month. Even before it was officially founded 10 years ago, I and a group of women, uh, Black women from born in various countries came together in Minneapolis to create what is actually the precursor to Black Philanthropy Month called the Pan-African Women's Philanthropy Network. And it was about just exchanging our various approaches to giving and all of the community action that we were taking worldwide to address the challenges facing our community. Um, that, that group has remained active is now in 30 different countries and is at the backbone of Black Philanthropy Month, just an amazingly diverse group of people who kind of act as a virtual mutual support community for social innovation and giving. So we're referring also to the tenacity of women and our allies to make a difference. There would be no Black Philanthropy Month except for the inspiration of the Pan-African Women's Philanthropy Network, now called Reunity. And then um, tenacity also refers to personal tenacity. This has been a very emotionally difficult period for all Americans and all people. And in the Black community in particular, it creates um, a range of, a, a special type of despair when you have to worry yourself about being treated subhuman and in a subhuman manner when just out living while black. I mean, I will say I constantly worry about the men, the women, the children in my family that some innocent misunderstanding with the police, frankly now members of the public could lead to their physical injury, death and just emotional trauma. And so we are faced with the challenge of having racism alive and well in our everyday lives and at the same time, we need to function in public, at our jobs, in a period where the country is still very much uncertain about its future because of COVID and this recession. So our message this year for our 10th anniversary is this is difficult. This is not the worst time in our community. And whenever we come together to make a positive change, it benefits all Americans. So we need to be tenacious. We need to remember where we came from and that we are the architects of our future in alliance with others. 
Well, I, I, I can tell you uh, it's watching what happens uh, in the U.S. and in the world today, and particularly, as you have said, with the magnification of, of the in, in, you know, racial injustices, social unrest, um, it's deeply disturbing and uh, creates so many emotions. Um, for me, I, I can't even begin to imagine the emotions and um, that it creates. And, you know, as you said, just with the black and brown communities having to live with this type of um, treatment on a daily basis in our, wow. country, in our country today. Um, yeah. And what makes it, we always knew about this. I mean, in some ways, technology has allowed us, whether it's through Facebook Live or just recording an act of abuse on one's phone, it has allowed us to take the reality of our lived experience and share it with the world. And so it's really more difficult to argue. You'll often hear people say, oh, well, Black people just have issues. We see Oprah Winfrey and sports stars and they're doing okay. But what these incidents show is that it really doesn't matter what university one's gone to, your education level, your um, position of power in the community um, or in the country at large, that in the public, much of the public view, we are considered, still considered inferior and dangerous. And that is why there is this documented disparate treatment, unequal treatment under the law, despite our constitutional rights as Americans and human beings. And what makes this a particularly difficult period is that our community has, uh, our communities, Black, Brown, and Native American communities have the highest rate of COVID. So what that means is that we all have a close one in our family who's either had COVID or died. And so we're dealing with that reality and not being able to go to funerals and just feeling like, um, feeling especially vulnerable. That is why it's important for us to remind everyone that giving is power, giving is healing, giving is a way to build a community of mutual respect and even love, which is at the root of philanthropy. And that if we're tenacious, we can do that. And that is what we're gonna try and uh, message for this 10th anniversary of Black Philanthropy Month to empower everybody. That's a beautiful, beautiful message. And, you know, you mentioned strength, love, and I'd like to add hope in there. And I, I only say, I add that word, meaning it's, it's, it's part of what I, I, I think keeps some people going because we've seen moments where progress is made and then progress gets knocked back. And for every, as the saying goes, for every 10 steps forward, you might sometimes 
people go back five steps or in certain situations, or as we've seen in with racial injustice in this country. Um, and so having that strength and the tenacity and, and the love and the hope to just keep that moving forward that at some point when 10 steps are taken and success is made, it sticks. And then that's the new foundation that people and we as a people in this country continue to move forward from, from there. So with last year's Black Giving and Beyond Summit, you had again mentioned that it was, the focus was on the impact of the twin pandemics, the COVID-19 and racial injustice. Um, you also mentioned Black communities have been chronically underfunded before 2020. And they're now feeling even more devastated because of these twin pandemics. So there's even more of an importance than ever to rebuild nonprofits and small businesses. And I just would like to take a minute to read part of your interview, and I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, on vomo.org. I read this, that they, were, they interviewed you. And you also added 46% of small Black-owned businesses have closed due to the pandemic. Many of Black-led nonprofits, especially the small and medium ones that are most effective, are now closing. The impact is being felt by everyone, especially communities of African descent. And, you, and then you went on to say only two to 10% of foundation philanthropy goes to Black-led organizations and only 1% of venture funding goes to Black businesses. Again, a extremely, uh, it's just a, such a uh, um, disheartening uh, to read that and, and, and to read those numbers and the data. Uh, and so with that, that was a discussion in last, at last year's summit. So the 2020 summit culminated in new black funding principles. So I just wanted to hear more about what these principles are uh, kind of, you know, came out of the 2020 summit um, and, and how these principles can be applied. Yeah, um, so one thing I will say is we're moving beyond hope to action. Um, that is one reason the Black global Black funding equity principles were developed. We shifted our focus last year, uh, and I'm, I'm very fortunate that the um, community leaders I collaborate with agreed with me to shift the focus from celebration only uh, to social action. Uh, we really fear, feel King's fierce urgency of now. And so if you will recall, especially after the lynching of George Floyd, there were quite a few corporate leaders who made declarations and commitments of funding to black communities and organizations recognizing that much of our history as a country, we had actual laws that prevented black people, and this also happened to women and others from accessing private capital. Um, there was redlining of various kinds of loans, including mortgages, um, um, higher interest rates, um, et cetera. The whole idea that there's certain people um, who are higher risk and inherently less 
qualified. And so we all know about discrimination and hiring and promotions. And so we wanted to call attention to issues of equity in funding and not just because it's, it's the right thing to do. And it's sort of in my mind, like the last frontier of the civil rights movement, we wanted to also recognize that without funding equity, we will not be able to rebuild as a country and a community post COVID because of the devastating impact of this era. Yes, it was true when I originally did that um, interview you referenced that 46% of black businesses has, have closed. Now 60% of small and medium sized black businesses have closed. The most vulnerable communities throughout the United States naturally have, are bearing the brunt of the economic and health devastation of COVID. So we, have, we hold all of the participants we could in Black Philanthropy Month 2020, including those who attended the Black Giving and Beyond Summit, and also had a survey that we circulated online and asked them to tell us what they thought were the most important action steps we could take as a community, a country, as corporations, as philanthropies, as funders of all backgrounds to actually um, give and fund in a way that would move the needle on equity and revitalization of black communities in the US and worldwide. And through that polling, we came up with these 10 principles, which we're calling the global black funding equity principles. And so the whole idea here is that if you're an organization that wants to do the right thing, actually make a long lasting um, sustainable difference for equity in in black communities, these principles are a guide, whether you're a donor or an investor. And the flip side if, of, those, um, of those principles is there are, I think, many well-intentioned corporations and other funders who are funding organizations in a way that is unclear uh, there are a lot of questions about whether all of the money committed is actually being distributed or making a difference. And so what we're saying is that if you're not applying these principles, it is less likely that your well-intentioned funding will make a difference uh, over the long run. So we have had about 27 so far uh, funders institutional funders um, from, um, that are community-based or corporate uh, of various types from throughout the world signed the pledge 
and we'll be working to try and increase the number of organizations that sign the pledge and we will be creating a kind of um, global black funding equity index that allows us to baseline and track whether a country or a community, in fact, the world is making progress on funding equity. So we're still gonna celebrate, but we want to make it easier for the world to do the right thing. I personally started working in fundraising 40 years ago. And my hope is that the next generation won't still be struggling with these funding equity issues because of this, um, it, you know, basically what's important. You measure what matters. If you don't measure it and set goals, it's unlikely that you'll be able to make any change in your personal life or in your community or in your economic life. So we're hoping that we can promote basically economic equity and justice through these principles and the pledge. And how with the 27 funders that have already signed on with the equity pledge, how did they receive the funding equity principles and the, the whole idea and concept of the equity pledge? And, and even, I guess the question would even expand out to those who you've had conversations with but have not yet signed on. Um, how, how is this being received? Well, um, we promoted them on social media. Uh, we also have a committee of some of our Black Philanthropy Month leaders who've been trying to convince people in their networks. And so the reception has been interesting. There are some companies uh, and large philanthropies who have not signed the pledge um, for reasons that I can only conjecture about. Um, I think that taking a public step to commit to a set of principles is seen as potentially risky and daunting, but daunting by some funders um, who don't want to take a public stance that they have to then be accountable for. And I think that has been a barrier. Um, there, is some, there are some instances where funders are already enacting the principles in their work. However, um, I think that there may be a feeling that if they're not perfect in their implementation of these kinds of equity principles, then they're not qualified mm -hmm. to sign the pledge I mean, the pledge, and we're trying to do another round of outreach and explanation, is aspirational. By definition, we as a country and a world haven't done well uh, in terms of promoting equity. Uh, and so we're in all in this t 
together. And so we never perceived that the institution signing it would be, would have perfect practice and results, Mm -hmm. but that this, the pledge, those who sign the pledge would become a community of leaders providing mutual support so we can all do better together. And um, is at least important to take a stance and be publicly willing to try. And so we will keep doing our best to promote the, the principles and build this kind of global tracking system so that we can all hold each other accountable and move to what I think most responsible leaders want is a reasonable, equal opportunity for everyone to succeed and have fair access to the private capital that we need for strong consumers, communities, national and global economies. And it's a win-win for everybody. People have that access to the capital that they need to rebuild. It, it's, it's better for the communities. It's better for the economy. It's better for the funders. It, 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 all the way around, um, it's a positive for everybody. Um, I, and, I, and I heard you say you're not looking for perfection. You're you're looking for the commitment. So nobody has to commit to these funding equity principles and the funding equity pledge and come out of the starting gate being perfect. Um, but it, it, it's the commitment that counts. That's what, that's what I'm hearing you, what you're saying. It's the commitment to these principles. Um, and as you said, taking hope to action um, and helping to, to open the gates to the capital to help rebuild communities. How, how, staying on that topic, how do we bring grant makers and those gatekeepers of the private uh, capital and corporations and uh, ha- individual donors, foundations, how, how do we bring people together um, to make them more comfortable in supporting organizations that are new to them or committing to this funding equity pledge, um, helping them to expand their giving and and hopefully work on the trust piece, as you mentioned. How, how is that a discussion that, or discussions um, that you've had with, you know, as you mentioned, the, um, you know, at the summit um, back in the beginning with the creation and the launching of Pan-African Women. Um, where, where, does that, where does that fall on the discussion radar? And what are, what are some, some of the ideas that have been talked about or some maybe proven ways that have worked in working with the grant makers to bring them in? Yeah, so let me just make a really important, emphasize an important point about Black Philanthropy Month. We are primarily a grassroots movement of 
Black or African descent, however the ethnicity is defined, um, donors and advocates and now investors. So our orientation is not, our primary orientation is what can we do for ourselves? Okay, how can we, number one, recognize that we not only have giving and um, what many call philanthropy, and, but that we give as 30 years worth of research has shown, at least in the US, we give more of our income in philanthropy than any other ethnic group. And that is surprising when people hear that statistic and we give to our own, you know, Black-led organizations, but we also give to the broader community. And people are surprised to hear that because there's a stereotype that we're, we're poor, that um, we're the world's supplicants. Most of the stereotypes of Black folks don't perceive us as givers. And so for you know, and it's such a strong cultural ethic. It's just what you do as a responsible black person is almost a defining aspect of being an adult. And it's how we've survived this country um, and its treatment or mistreatment of our community since 1619. And so, it's just really important to recognize that we fundamentally believe we determine our own future. And it is not just about asking what majority organizations will do for us. We are inviting everyone to collaborate with us. We are advocating and almost demanding that as members of American society, that we have equity. This is not a favor anyone is doing for us as people uh, who do quality work. There's no reason that a person doing promising quality work in the for-profit or nonprofit sector should not be able to get access to funding available to other people of different, of um, non-Black ethnic or racial backgrounds we shouldn't have to pay a black tax to get access to funding that other ethnicities can get access to. So this is really not necessarily about making those who are not funding us comfortable. We may not be able to do that. There are people who are just, their belief system is that we're inferior uh, sometimes even when the individuals working in the institutions don't have that belief, there is just the passing down of the belief that becomes kind of a systemic reflex in the organization, not intended, but just the way things have worked over generations and those systems just tend to perpetuate ourselves. So this is a, an active grassroots movement of black folks throughout the country and the world, supported by many allies to exercise our own agency 
to give as much as we can to address our own issues and to demand and invite our broader, our broader society to treat us fairly when it comes to funding. So I just wanted to emphasize that. One of the ways to change, hopefully, hearts and minds is to provide tools like the Black funding equity principles to show how one can effectively support Black-led and founded organizations, including grassroots ones, in a way that um, is impactful and makes a difference on the issues that we all care about. So that was at the back, backdrop of the creation of those principles in the first place. I think Black Philanthropy Month is an opportunity um, for all kinds of funders to develop actual networks in Black communities. Um, often it is said that there's a pipeline problem that there are not enough qualified Black leaders of nonprofits or businesses to, hire, to fund, or um, even enough qualified Black people to hire or engage as vendors. Black Philanthropy Month brings the entire global uh, ecosystem of Black innovation talent together. So, it's easier to tap the pipeline if you just don't happen to have black people in your network. So we're bringing information, we're bringing tools and we're bringing the pipeline to your doorstep. Um, so it's easier to do the right thing and include everybody. Thank you for, for clarifying that. Um... And, and really, uh, I, that was extremely well said. I, um, I, I understand the mission. I understand it's not, the goal is certainly not to make grant makers more comfortable, but in, as you said, bringing the tools to them, uh, the people that you're working with um, and partnering with in trying to break down some of those or all of those those um, myths, um, those stereotypes, uh, as you said, which has closed doors and uh, not that they've been open, but they've had, you know, they've, you've kind of, of trying to break down those barriers with doors that have been um, never open um, and just trying to uh, push, you know, get beyond that um, from, as you said, from your stand, standpoint and focused on helping being in your community and, 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 and doing it for you. Um, so is that, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I'm trying to um, just confirm this, is that basically what you're describing? Yeah, it pretty much um, articulates what I just said. And then the other part of the argument is, um, or the case is um, everybody wins when everyone is included. Mm -hmm. And often the exclusion can be for what people call implicit 
biases. Um, and then other times they're not so implicit, but in any case, we're providing an opportunity um, for inclusion and funding equity, um, and also a chance to make black giving more strategic and impactful on the issues that we're addressing on the front lines as grassroots organizations in black communities. Mm -hmm. The proclamation, uh, the list is 32 and growing with municipalities and states having signed on um, to declare and recognize the month of August as Black Philanthropy Month. Is that, do you also view that as helping to expand um, again and have people uh, commit, municipalities and states um, commit to recognizing Black Philanthropy Month, Black giving and the importance and the significance of that similar to the global Black funding equity principles and the Black funding equity pledge? Well, that has been um, a really um, powerful tool uh, just to have these proclamations by government bodies which make Black Philanthropy Month an official commemoration. And then we have governments and even the UN across the world celebrating Black Philanthropy Month every year. And what has happened is as a spinoff, multiple communities, nonprofits, and other organizations create their own Black Philanthropy Month celebrations. And so um, is one way participation has expanded across the world. And I, and I feel like it's almost part, part of the skeleton of the um, expansion of Black Philanthropy Month as a global movement. It's pretty easy for anyone to get their local or um, statewide or even national government uh, to declare every August Black Philanthropy Month. On our website, blackphilanthropymonth.com uh, is a template that anyone can use to request that their local public leadership declare Black Philanthropy Month as a celebration every August. And that's exactly how these proclamations have spread. It's kind of moved beyond the organizers of Black Philanthropy Month to become its kind of own independent effort. So I would actually encourage anyone listening to go to blackphilanthropymonth.com, download the template if you have connections in local government or with national or multinational organizations or bodies. I mean, a corporation can even declare every August Black Philanthropy Month. Is That is a very um, user-friendly way to contribute to the movement, no matter who you are. 
um, because it helps to expand the visibility of Black giving, but also funding equity issues in general. It highlights the centrality of giving uh, in our community. And so I, I hope that listeners will, if they, you don't already have a pro proclamation in your city or region and the 32 are listed on the website, um, to take that as an action and get a proclamation, um, engage officials in some sort of ceremonial way and perhaps organize a panel talking about um, black giving and funding in your community and how important it is uh, as a resource to address challenges um, facing black and other communities. And I will always say I'm, I'm very intersectional as a term used in my work and when people who have been marginalized and left out, whether they're women, Black people, Native American, Asian are included and receive their basic human rights, everybody benefits. And you know the reason some of the indicators in our country, uh, socioeconomic indicators, aren't as strong as they should be. And in fact, we're regressing as a country in mobility um, for, when, when I say mobility, I mean socioeconomic mobility is because these structural issues, racism, sexism, homophobia still prevent millions of people from accessing the economy, being included, and really um, fully contributing to our country. So this is a very hard time for people across the board, and inclusion is the way that everybody can win. It makes us stronger. And without that, as you said, it, it holds us back. And even maybe it, we would end up declining. Um, so it, it absolutely makes us stronger. Um, yeah, we are declining. And we are, as you said, we are declining. So it yeah. just, again, it's, you, you look at the data, you, which you look at the numbers, you look at the history and the evidence, and it just makes sense to, work together to make us stronger. Um, so it's, it is sometimes very challenging to try to determine why that doesn't happen and why people see it and don't respond to it and take action um, or don't see it at all. Um, that, that's a, that is a challenge to try to understand that. Is there a proven pathway that you've seen uh, in people reaching out to their government officials to put the proclamation in front of them? Um, or is it just somebody doing a cold call to uh, a mayor or the governor of their state? I mean, have you seen any proven pathway that, that you might wanna share with our, our listeners? 
Well, the, the ask is usually made by people who have some connection. Mm -hmm. And so find out who in your network knows somebody who knows somebody or, you know, you can go through your, you can just go call cold call through your representative. You can share um, the template, with, which makes it easy for them. Actually, most of these officials fill in the blanks in the template or they make some small changes. Um, and sharing the list of other um, public bodies that have recognized Black Philanthropy Month is really important too, because it shows that this is a growing trend. They're not alone. And we set up the template so it's not just a one-off. So if they establish a proclamation, there's it is saying that they will celebrate every year, um, that it becomes an annual commemoration and celebration instead of just for the year that it's signed in. Thank you for that. And how does Black Philanthropy Month and Give 828 work together? Um, I had uh, the pleasure of having a, a discussion with Ebony Johnson Cooper recently, um, who uh, spoke about Give A28 and the significance of, of Give A28 and, and also the significance of that date, August 28, um, and all, many of the historical events that have occurred on that day. Um, how, do, how does Black Philanthropy Month and Give A28 work together each year? Right, it, it varies and it depends largely on what 828 is planning to do. It used to be called uh, Give Black Day. We're very supportive of the entire concept of having a day focused on giving by and to Black organizations. So we see them as part of Black Philanthropy Month and try to be supportive in whatever way Ebony needs in a given year. And so one of our co-architects is on the board of our organization, which keeps the linkage really strong. And we're, we're 828 booster and supporter. We haven't finalized how we're gonna to work together this year as in discussion. Great, thank you for that. And what would be your message to listeners, um, to people that you talk with throughout your day, your month, your year about black giving, supporting uh, black led and black focused, uh, black led and, and black focused uh, communities and organizations? Um, what, what would be the, the message that you would want people to take away with them? And if they, if they remembered nothing else about a conversation that you've had with them, what message would be most important in your mind that they would walk away with? Um, for me uh, is to continue the giving, take it seriously and when we think about it, it is our giving that's been at the backdrop 
of much of the progress of our country um, from its inception, whether you're looking at the abolition movement, the anti-lynching movement, the civil rights movement, many other movements were modeled after the civil rights movement, the women's movement, the LGBTQIA movement, Black Lives Matters movement, the environmental movement. And so the individual agency and giving of everyday people really does matter. Not everyday Black people and allies, not just to Black communities, but to the entire country and the world. Civil rights movement inspired um, the anti-apartheid movement. So just know that you and your family's giving is a part of history and also a key driver of our future. My other message is I want everyone, including people of all backgrounds, to understand that this um, is not just about philanthropy and giving, although that's where we're started and building a global economy and culture of giving instead of just taking is really important. Um, also part of that is um, just the whole concept of love that's part of the etymology of philanthropy, the Greek word love of humanity. Yes. But that also includes Black people. And I think of a lot of the racial justice and equity problems we're facing is that still Black people are not necessarily seen as equal in just their core humanity. And so that's something we have to, that's obviously not true. We are all human beings. We're all one species. There's not different species of human beings based on socially constructed notions of race. Um, so just a whole notion, I'm gonna call it e pluribus uno, out of many one, that we can be one nation, one humanity and giving is one of the threads that binds us together, mutual support and giving of time, talent, and treasure. Also, I want people to recognize that philanthropy is a form also of private capital. And we have a serious problem with discrimination and equity in access to private capital. And now that we have to rebuild post-COVID, this is a time to call the powers that be to account for providing equal access to the private capital that will be needed almost at a Marshall Plan level to rebuild communities and economies post-COVID so we can create an opportunity out of this devastating Crisis. So it's in the best interest of business and society to level the play of playing field and remove the barriers so that we can all be included in rebuilding our great country.
Beautifully, perfectly said, very powerful. And I would like to leave it at that because there's nothing else I can say that I I don't, I want our listeners to walk away with that message. So I would like to leave it there. Um, And I fully agree and supportive of all that you've said, Black Philanthropy Month mission. Um, And as you said, what, let's take a look at what philanthropy means. It's love of humankind, and that includes everybody. So thank you so, so much for, for talking with us, for educating us, for sharing with us, um, talking about Black Philanthropy Month mission, and not only during the month of August, but all year long. So if we could just remind our listeners again where they can find you, your organization online uh, and your organization online to support and celebrate your mission. You can get access to Black Philanthropy Month at blackphilanthropymonth.com. You can, uh, Black, uh, the WISE Fund, where I'm also, the, and it's called the Women Invested to Save Earth Fund is the backbone administrator for Black Philanthropy Month as well. And we can be reached at give at thewisefund.org. Great, Dr. Copeland, we appreciate you in all of the very meaningful work that you are doing each and every day. Thank you so much for being a guest here with us today and, and, and sharing with our listeners. Thank you, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Dr. Copeland. We appreciate it. And thank you to our listeners. We've been talking with Dr. Jacqueline Bouvier Copeland. You can support Dr. Copeland and Black Philanthropy Month again at blackphilanthropymonth.com as well as the Wise Fund at thewisefund.org. So check them both out. Your support means a lot and can help with moving equity in philanthropy forward. Remember to follow us or click that subscribe button and join us next week for another interesting discussion. I'm Michelle Woodard, host and co-producer, bringing you Philanthropy Infusion for new ways to expand giving and infusing equity into your philanthropy. Tune into Philanthropy Infusion on Anchor, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud as part of the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast, a Kelson Communications production. Jackie, that was just incredible. I, I just, I can't thank you enough. Uh, I just, I have to tell you, I, it's just sometimes hard for me to even respond to the truth because it's so, it's, it, it deeply not only saddens me, but sickens me. Um, really, like I just have a physical reaction to it many times. And even as you said, with the public lynchings that happen day after day, is just is just so incredibly um, just challenging and, and just unacceptable. Uh, I just I don't even I, it's, it's hard for me to find the words and I'm, I'm just being talking from my heart and my soul right now. It's hard to find the words to even express all of what's happened. Um, Michelle, oh, did we lose her? She, did she yeah. sign off? Okay. Yeah, she, she had to go to another. Okay. Well, I'll send her an email to say 
everything I just said, but that was just, I, like, as I said, Silas, it, it's just sometimes it's a, it's hard to even respond to the truth um, because yeah. so it's just, I don't even, I can't even find the words. It's beyond discouraging that it's still happening today. You know, this is true. Um, and I just, I so appreciated her the way that she puts it out there is like, this is, this is the truth. And this is what black and brown communities deal with on a daily basis and have since the inception of our history. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's, I just, why doesn't it change? I don't, that's the part that I, that for me, and I'm white Mm -hmm. is why can't people see this? Why? does it seem like we're making advances and making changes? And then all of a sudden we're knocked back to, you know, 20, 30, sometimes going back to 50 years of progress that's been made. Like, how does this happen? And how are there still people in this country that are so hateful? I just, that's the piece that I just, I'll never understand. And I, I get, generations continue like the lies and the the hate it's really just the hate Mm -hmm. that continues generation after generation but it just has taken so long to get to where we are at this point I mean what does it take does it take for you know those hateful generations of people to be kind of weeded out based on how our society evolves. Um, well, I mean, we 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 hope that that's the uh, that's the end. The, the only the only solace that I take is that the the younger generation, you know, they they for the most part they seem to be getting past it. It's the holdovers. It's like you know, the whole, we're losing our country. Uh, you know, they're taking over. Um, they're making everything, you know, it's it's, it's, it's the, old, the old guard that just doesn't want to, you know, I mean, 30, 40 years ago, stuff that going, was going on then is still going on now. You know, I mean, and you would think that, okay, you know, we live, we learn, we grow. But a lot of stuff just hasn't changed. And I, I don't know what it is, but there's a lot of deep-seated hatred in this country for black and brown people. And it, and it's, I think for me, where I sit as an African diasporan, it's ingrained in the fabric of the country. I mean, there's so many good people that are out there and equity allies. And that's that, that's not to be disputed. But there's also another faction that just won't let it go. They keep, you know, they, they say they were afraid and, and, and we're a threat and, and, and we're intimidating. And, and, and whether we're wrong or we're right, you know, we get shot down and we get denied jobs and we get treated differently and we get held to higher, stand, higher standards for the same thing. And it's just, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but I know being the color that I am, it's infuriating because it happens all the time. I mean, I'm battling on my job because like I'm being targeted with microaggression. You know, um, and here I am 
you know, um, you know, working really hard to, to, to promote the social work profession. And I'm on a job where, you know, I see purposely how they're coming, they're coming for me. And I'm and I'm like, listen, and then and then when I say something, you're being too sensitive, or you're you're the angry black man, or uh you're just making it up. No, I'm not making it up. You know, Corinthia goes through it. My daughters go through it. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and yet and still, as a people, we thrive. And, you know, if, you know, if it weren't for people like yourself, you know, like really rolling up their sleeves and, and getting in the arena, it would be very disheartening. Mm-hmm. But all through history, there's been equity allies all through the struggle. There's been equity allies. And that's what makes it a little more palpable that not everybody is like that, but there's so many people that are like that. And they're in, they're in places of power and, and, and decision-making, you know, the banks, the schools, you know, education, it's like everywhere, you know? And so I, I, I wish I knew that, I, but I know that there's a deep-seated hatred in a lot of people towards black and brown people, plain and simple. I don't care what nobody says. I know, I, I 100% agree, it's the truth. You know no. what, I just realized, can I FaceTime you to continue the discussion because I think we're still on her, um, on, on Jackie's Zoom. So I'm gonna FaceTime you right now in case she has to use it. Oh, you know, you I, didn't think of, I, didn't think, I didn't think about that. Let me- I know, let I'm let getting me. so like into our conversation. <laughs> Are you, do you have a few minutes? Yeah, yeah, I do, I do. Okay, okay I'm, so gonna, me, I'm gonna, okay, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave this one.